As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me, and he rose and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercies, and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous mercies. So I'm going to pray. Jesus, we thank you for this night. We thank you for your word. I pray that as we walk through this scripture, these set of scriptures, um, would you reveal to us what you mean through all of this, what you are speaking then, what you are speaking now. And uh, we just, we thank you that we get to gather and love each other and learn about each other and share a meal together, Lord. Um, that's an incredible blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. So first things first, Matthew's audience were the Jewish people and the entire purpose of his book was essentially for him to prove to the Jewish people why Jesus was the rightful Messiah. So as we walk through the scriptures, you'll see a lot of throwbacks to old prophecies because he knew that the Jewish people knew the prophecies and he would insert it in his writing in places to point out like this is why that what Jesus just did, this is why it makes sense that he would be the Messiah from what we know. And so here, this is the section of scripture that says this is essentially Jesus' Jesus calls Matthew. This is Matthew's own story of how he came to begin to follow Jesus. And what I want to kind of even set apart in verse 9 is that Jesus, where he was walking along, was in the realm, like in the region of Capernaum. And prior to this, there was probably no chance that Matthew, the tax collector, collector and author of this book actually had any interaction with Jesus. So this point where Jesus says, come and follow me and Matthew does it, that was most likely their first real interaction. But because Capernaum was really Jesus's like hood, like his stomping grounds, most likely Matthew had heard of him. And so Matthew as a tax collector, there was a reason why the Pharisees would be like, why are you eating with these sinners? Why are you eating with these tax collectors? It was because they believed that tax collectors we're essentially like scum of the earth, uh, betrayers, and like unpatriotic. Because when the Roman Empire went and dominated those regions, what they did was they would take local natives and they would say, you are now kind of like the figurehead. So Harold, figurehead. And he was a betrayer. Any tax collectors were local people, most likely Jews, and they would serve and they would be tax collectors. And the thing was that, because they would do this for the Roman Empire, they were viewed as like, like castoffs. They were not a part of the religious culture. They because most of the tax collectors, if what their job was to was to collect tax, taxes from people, they would often be greedy and take more than they needed to take. But in Matthew's case, it was most likely that he wasn't one of those tax collectors. He was a person who um, essentially. Um, sat and collected, collected taxes from the goods that would pass through that region. And so Jesus is coming to him, and Jesus has this interaction, and he goes, follow me and be my disciples. Up to this point, Jesus was having conversations with people where they were like, hey, I want to follow you. And he's like, are you sure? And it was scribes. It was religious people, and they're like, I'll follow you. And he's like, I don't think you know what you mean. Even his own disciples, he's like, are you sure this is where you want to live? This is the life you want to live? And then here he comes to 
what the religious people would consider scum of the earth, betrayers, unpatriotic, the unlikely, and he goes, come and be my disciple. And we see, and this is the thing, is that I feel like Jesus was constantly pissing people off because they expected him to be this way. They expected him as a Jew, as a male Jew in that time, as a religious person to follow these religious, religious regulations and code of conduct. But he's healing on the Sabbath because people matter more than religious duty. He is interacting with people that other people would not interact with because people matter more than religious duty. And he is calling people to follow him and be his disciples because people matter more than religious duties. And so he's constantly in this interaction with the religious people just saying, this, you're missing the point. You're missing it completely. And so this interaction with Matthew, and it says Matthew gets up and he follows him. And that's what we get in the context. This story is also in the other Gospels of the calling of these disciples. And then I thought to myself, this experience of somebody coming to you and they say, follow me, be my disciple. And I just think like, that's, that's gutsy. To straight up leave what you know and to go follow this person that you've heard about, didn't fully know. And then I thought to myself, what is our first memory of experiencing Jesus? Not experiencing Christians, but experiencing the very person of Jesus or the very presence of God. And I'll start off and I would love for a couple people to share. I was at a church camp and I couldn't explain it. But all I could feel was this, like in the presence of God, this sense that I was deeply broken yet deeply loved. And that was not what I knew. What I know is that if you if you have your life together and if you're perfect, then you'll be loved. If you achieve certain things, then you'll be loved. But in this presence, in this moment at winter camp, I just felt like it was okay to be broken and it was okay to not have my act together and I was still ridiculously loved. So it was it, the, the sense and the experience of Jesus in that moment was that I was safe. And my entire life leading up to that, I never felt safe. And so experiencing Jesus, that first moment was this sense of relief that I was finally safe because I was finally loved in my brokenness. And so that was my experience, Matthew's experience interaction with Jesus is come and follow me and be my disciple and he gets up and he goes can you remember your first experience with the very presence of God the very person of Jesus don't shout me down now but do shout because people can't hear you in the recording because we've got this sweet setup called a laptop (laughs) I'll do my favorite I'll just call people Ashley thank you for sharing (laughs) <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm like, I can't remember the first one, man. Remember what? Just Anyone. share what stands out. What stands out? Just like being so depressed and just like giving, looking up to God and be like, God, I don't want this anymore. And just immediately being filled with his joy mm-hmm. and his love and just feeling his arms wrapped around me mm-hmm. and knowing that that isn't like just something that happens you know yeah that's totally him yeah thank you for sharing and i'll put you on the spot welcome to house church it's a good place to be it's a good place to be 
something I experienced when I was in like type of really um, like went to bed with a really tiredness you know and then mm-hmm. in the middle of the night late I just tired awake but but it's so you know like feeling so scared like for whatever reason yeah. you know it's so dark and so scary and then the only thing that I can try to do is just like okay I'm gonna just pray mm-hmm. and then you know fall asleep and yeah. you know like whenever I do not even know yeah. like peace yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so like yeah so without peace I cannot really fall asleep because I I can tell that his eyes lying down mm-hmm. like on the bed like for five minutes or, or even more mm-hmm. and you're just like scared of something that mm-hmm. I cannot even imagine yeah Thank you. The thing is that I don't, in this interaction with Matthew and Jesus, I just think what would compel someone to leave everything that they know to follow somebody they've heard of? What would compel somebody? And I just realized the very presence of Jesus, the very person of Jesus, it has to be magnetic. It has to be something that you're just drawn to. And Aaron and I were having this conversation earlier where I was like, People, I've never met a single person who's like, I hate that Jesus dude. Met a lot of people who are like, I hate Christians and I hate churches. And I, but never, I hate the person of who, like who Jesus is. And sometimes I wonder if people would be drawn if they experience Christ through us, the very presence of God through us versus what they think we are as Christians and as, I suppose, religious people. But I'm just so convinced that the person of Jesus, the presence of God is irresistible. That when people encounter it, it awakens something deep inside their soul that they're like, I don't know what this is, but whatever it is, I want more of it. And I'm also convinced that we easily get in the way of that happening because we have built rules and regulations and conducts and ideas of what that experience should look like for other people. Instead of the fact that Jesus said, after me will come one who will be known as the great counselor and he will dwell within you. In the New Testament, Paul writes about how we are the temple and we house the spirit of God so that when we go out into the world, that is the spirit of God going out in the world through us and in us. And when people interact with that, that there's something irresistible. So it makes sense that he would encounter the very person of Jesus and leave what he knows because there's something about Jesus, not something about us, something about Jesus in us that makes people think, I don't know why you have joy in this season. I don't know how you can have faith in this season. I don't know how you can do this. And our job is to simply like share what Jesus, who Jesus is to us and what he is doing. And so Matthew has this experience with Jesus. And this thing is like, even we're still in verse 9, is that this experience right here of Jesus calling Matthew the tax collector is the perfect example of Jesus calling the unlikely. And I was sitting in a local coffee shop today, and I realized I was getting like super heated. And I was texting Ashley about it. I was like, just heads up when you see me, I'm going to be, I'm like, I'm heated. And I was like, I'm heated because I think it's really stupid that we have created these like these levels of spirituality and maturity that people feel like they have to be at in order to be with us that we have created spaces where people 
don't actually feel like they can be broken because they have to get their act together and everything figured out and perfect to a certain extent to belong in what is called church gathering. And I got so upset because I'm like, nowhere have I experienced in the Bible, and I'm still learning, and I game on, like I'm willing to be challenged on this, but God is constantly using unlikely people. God is constantly un- calling unlikely people to follow him and be his disciples. Jesus is constantly inviting the broken, the needy, the sick. He's constantly saying, come and follow me. But somehow in the thing that we have built to be known as the church, there's a certain level of getting your crap together until you can finally belong to us. And we have this idea that if you behave a certain way and maybe you believe what we believe, then you can finally belong to us, the church. And can I just say, like, this is what I'm heated about. And I'm good with people hearing this on this thing right here. But that just really, like, makes me, that makes me angry. Because people should belong regardless. If the prostitutes and the sinners and the tax collectors can sit in the very presence of God, very person of Jesus, how the heck did we come up with all these spiritual tears For people to feel like they belong. How do we come up with all these levels and expectations? Because Jesus never had those. But here we are, his people saying, oh, you know what? You can't pray because you just haven't followed Jesus long enough. (coughs) The first time I ever volunteered to serve in church, I got saved, like truly experienced Jesus in college. And I was like, I'm going to serve. But like there was clearly like you can't do this, but you can do this because you just got saved. And so I was a greeter. And like, loved it. Like, I want to talk to everybody and smile at you, shake your hand, maybe give you a hug. And I remember I dressed up in the nicest clothes that I had as a college student. So that was jeans. And I come early and I'm ready to serve. Like, I'm ready to stand at that door and be like, hey, welcome. Like, just shut them down. Try to get them through my door because it's not a competition. But it kind of is. And just shouting people down. And I remember showing up and like, again, nicest clothes I had. And the sweet lady looks at me and she goes, I'm sorry, you can't stand at the door. And I'm like, oh, why? And she was like, you're wearing jeans. We only let people serve at the door if they're wearing slacks and if a woman slacks or a skirt. She's like, but this is what you can do. So she sat me, she sat me behind the reception area at a little table and she's like, you can stuff bulletins. And like, I didn't grow up in the church. So I thought that was normal. And I was like, cool, cool, cool. Can't wear jeans to greet. That might be a Christian thing. I don't know. I haven't been in this Christian thing for very long. That seems legitimate. I'll stuff bulletins. Ain't no shame in stuffing bulletins. But without even knowing there, I experienced this idea of levels of now you've reached this stage of maturity. Therefore, now you may greet. You have reached this stage. Therefore, you can stuff bulletins. And I just think, I, I just don't recall that experience with Jesus. All right, lady with the bleeding issue, you have now reached this level of desperation and spiritual, possibly faith and maturity. You can now touch the hem of my robe. Blind man, you have walked around blind long enough in your faith. You have reached 10,000 steps. <laughs> Therefore, you can now be healed by me. There isn't any of that. 
But here we are as the church saying you have to do this, this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. And we don't create spaces for people to belong and to participate. And then we wonder why people don't want to come to church. Because we built this holy thing, this holy place, and people feel like they have to be holy to enter. And that was never what Jesus showed people. He was a holy man, fully God, fully man, walking around. And people interacted with him all the time. And months ago, we had this conversation for people who grew up in the church. Do you feel like you could wrestle with faith while still participating in faith community? And the overwhelming answer was no. And I just, and as somebody who didn't grow up in the church, that doesn't make sense to me. Because the Jesus that I read about, the Jesus that I have interacted with, the God who I know is not about get your crap together, then you can pray to me. Stop sinning in all these ways, then you can talk to me. Like, that is just not what I've encountered, but that is what people believe we are as the church, as a gathering. And so Jesus calls this unlikely man. Well, stories before, religious people are like, yeah, I'll, I'll follow you. And he's like, ah, I don't think you know. I don't think you're ready for this. But here he calls Matthew. And I love that because one of my favorite things is telling people from my previous life what my previous life like what I do now. And most of them are like, whoa. And I'm like, right? Like if I could be like if I could tell people about Jesus, if I could be a pastor, I mean like everyone's fair game. Like if I could do this, like anybody can do it. And this is what I love about who Jesus is, is that he didn't require the disciples to get their crap together. They were still messing up when they were following him and he would send them out to do things and they would come back. They're like, that didn't work. And he's like, because you did it wrong. Let's try it again. They didn't have everything figured out. Their theology wasn't strained out. They didn't have degrees, yet they still were used by God because he calls the unlikely and we are the unlikely. The disciples were rejected like students and he's like yeah i'll take you yet somehow in the way we function as a gathering and not just here but in like american churches it doesn't seem like we call the unlikely to us we bring the unlikely here but there has to be certain ways where if you behave this way maybe you believe and then you belong regardless where it should be you belong with us you belong here Sweet, you, you believe because we love you and we've been sharing the gospel with you and you've been encountering Jesus. That's awesome. Your life, your actions are starting to align with what we believe. But it all started because you belong. And moving to Linden, I have always felt this deep sense that you belong or you don't belong. Like you belong here. There's legacy here. There's roots here. There's names here. And you belong here. But if you are transplanted here, if you do not have a name here, if you do not have roots here, you don't belong. And I just do not believe that reflects the heart of God. But I believe that God is doing something amongst the people who are moving here because our city is growing super fast with transplants. That we are building a community of sense of belonging for the people who've never felt like they belonged. Jesus rallied together a bunch of people who didn't belong and were unlikely. And so that is what I love. And we're just on verse 9. We can now move forward. Verse 10. (laughs) And so what does Matthew do after Jesus calls him? Matthew invites him to his home, and they share a meal together. 
And it says that the Pharisees saw this and they're like, why are you eating with these people? But here's the interesting. Anybody ever thought, why were the Pharisees there standing? Are they standing there? Are they staring? How did they? Yeah, like that's the thing. It's like Matthew invites Jesus into his home for dinner. And then all of a sudden the Pharisees saw this. So the question is, where were the Pharisees in this entire exchange? If Jesus was with the sinners and the tax collectors and the prostitutes like, where were the texts? Are they standing outside, like being all awkward, like looking watching? in the window? When, right? Are they just like? If you think about it, there's a lot weird. of situations where it just says the Pharisees saw this. The woman who was caught, like the woman that was thrown naked in front of Jesus, right? They said we caught her in adultery. Where were you at this entire time? And where was the dude? But they throw this woman naked in front of Jesus. His response was, "If you are without sin, you may cast the first stone." And they're like, "Oh shoot, dang it!" Right? But he has, so Jesus is here. He's lounging. He's hanging out with Matthew, the tax collector, and his friends. Pharisees saw this. And so um, what I learned when I was in college, and that was a hot minute ago, was that the way that homes were kind of arranged was very open style. And so the places where people shared meals, that you could easily be around and see it and see the table and see who is at the table. And so the most likely the situation was that Matthew was in this open space in a home sharing a meal and the religious people were not necessarily there, but they would be able to see it. I almost can't imagine that like they can see him inside the houses. Are they shouting into the house? Like it just, it's really hard to think of like, it just does not fit in our cultural context. No. I don't get it. Because we don't have open style much, right? Yeah, and I just can't imagine. It just seems so weird. It does. Like interject into something. Interject. Party. Why are you eating with them? Right? It's just so funny. Like, you'd be at your neighbor's house, like, peeking in the windows, be like, yo, Jesus, that's weird. Yeah. Right? It's just do so they? Weird. Do you know what they do? Yeah. I never but that was the like experience. That. Right. And so, but what what stood out to me here was this invitation. Jesus invited Matthew to follow him. And then Matthew's response was inviting Jesus into life because the way that people experienced meals, which is so different than our context in America, is that the way that people experienced meals was that meals were these intimate experiences. A shared meal was this this coming together of relationship. Even the way Americans like eat food is super weird to me. Because when I grew up, it was there were a lot of dishes in the middle. We all had our bowl of rice. And then we all ate communally from these shared platters. And we call it family style. If you go to Panda Express, also known as family style. But this idea was that there were things in the middle. We had our rice, but we all shared. But in America, and this is something that Riley and I talk about a lot because he's white. Was like, I don't understand why everybody has their own plate. And you kind of have your own plate with everything in it. And you just kind of eat from your own plate. And you look at other people eating from their own plate. And you're like, this is my plate. Okay, because we don't do family style. We do. This is mine. It's in front of me. I eat from here. But that is not the context that Matthew and Jesus and the sinners are experiencing. That meal was intimate. And what's crazy is it wasn't meal around a table like the one in my dining room. It was meal lounging. So when you see, like, you read about how, like, he was leaning on that person's breast, the chest, 
It was because they were lounging and eating in a way where they were reclined. They were relaxed. They were amongst their people. There was no need to have a defensive stance, which it just kind of occurred to me right now is that it's really hard to defend yourself if you're practically laying on the ground, reclined against somebody. But there they were, they were reclined, they were together. Jesus says, follow me and be my disciples. Be my disciple. Matthew comes back with, come over to my house for dinner. Me And the thing is that the other sinners were there, the other tax collectors, the other scum, the other people were there. And so when he was invited to live life with Jesus, Jesus was invited to live life with him into his space. And that was that interesting moment for me as I realized I had affirmed what I believe to be true about our house church is that the shared meal is probably one of the most sacred things we can do. To pick from the shared experience for every person to bring something. Because I can tell you, Hundo P, it would be so much easier if we did everything because then we can know if everything was like, like t- accounted for. But the beauty, because I'm super control, control freak, <laughs> call it like it is. But to have other people bring something, it is symbolic that even the smallest thing or the biggest thing that we bring contributes, contributes to the shared experience. And the shared experience is not something we have right now in our culture. Everything is independent. It's siloed. It's mine. But Matthew here is saying, come eat a meal with me. Be intimate with me. And Jesus goes. And the religious people see this. So they were lurking, like, outside. Like, what are you doing? It's weird. Which, interestingly enough, a lot of people like to tell me I'm weird here. <laughs> Miss Ann, what are you doing? Why is there so many cars in front of your house? It's funny. <laughs> like, what do you have going on over there? There's a lot of people. And it's like, isn't it great? Like the answer is no. But it's it's making me nervous. There's Bellingham people here. What's going on? They never come here. And this idea is like the shared experience. The religious people lurking outside, and Jesus is like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go there. I'm gonna go where the broken people are." And as I was reading through the books, it's like that this dinner where there was tax collectors and other. Um, unlikely people with Jesus. That was most likely the scenario where Matthew handed over all his responsibilities to the other tax collectors. And this was a meal and a feast to represent that handoff, that he was no longer going to be doing this. Because as an employee or somebody that was representing Harold, Herod, that region, as a, like his job as a tax collector, he still had to hand that off. So he hands it off in this feast that's why the other people are there most likely that's why the other people are there and the religious people and why are you eating with him and i just realized that exchange of follow me and be my disciple and then matthew come and share a meal i realized that healthy relationships require living together healthy church is when we live life together healthy relationship here is when we love each other well by caring enough to know what's going on in each other's life and i will say this more than once is that i do not want to be the only person here who is encouraging you who is showing up for you who is loving you that i should not be the only person who is showing up to your kids games and recitals and stuff like probably one of my favorite memories is it was for Oli's game and i get a text message 
from Tristan. And he goes, what field are they at? What are they doing? Where are they? And I was like, great question. I don't know. Um, but Tristan tried to show up for Oli because that's church. That is community. And it should never be dependent on any person other than Jesus. But healthy relationship, healthy church is when we live life together. And Jesus and Matthew demonstrates this, is that that call is to live life, is that Matthew decided to follow Jesus, but then Matthew also made a conscious decision to invite Jesus into his life. And I want us to be the church and the people that are inviting people to live life with us. Because it's never about growing in numbers. It's about how effective are we in sharing the gospel in every place that we go. Because we are all called to preach the gospel. If you follow Jesus, then you are called to be a disciple maker. Which means you go into your work, you go into your school, you go into your places. And you preach Jesus in a way that you show up and love people. And so Matthew and Jesus has this beautiful experience of living life together. And this intentional invitation and this intentional response. And that, if you've ever wondered what is a relationship with Jesus, what is a relationship with God, it is an intentional invitation on his behalf and on our behalf. It's an intentional response. That I know that every day when I wake up, I have to make an intentional decision that today I want to honor Jesus. Today, I want to live my life that honors Jesus. When I want to backhand somebody because they're making me mad, because I'm a broken human being, I have to decide I want to honor Jesus. When I have conflict with people I love, and I want to like, I want to say the, I want to say mean things, and I want to yell, and I want to do all these things. I make a conscious, I have to make a conscious decision. I want to honor Jesus. That intentional response to an intentional invitation. And so you have this. And again, Martha was like, it's super weird that the religious people are like, hey, why are you eating with them? That's gross. And Jesus, his response is so good. It's so like point blank. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And then he goes, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture, which BT dubs the religious people, the Pharisees, new scripture. And so he's like, go and reflect on this. You know these things, but you don't really know these things. So go and reflect and go and think about this. Go think about your life. Yeah, it's like, come on, right? To go tell the people who knew scripture to go and think more about scripture because they are clearly missing the point. Just is that perfect example of like how they miss the point. It's that sick people are the ones that need healing. And then he goes, he's like, for I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. I like that translation. That's really good. And this is the NLT. And I I wrote in my notes, it's like, Jesus tells the religious people to go and learn. That is a reflective command that it is time to reflect on what they think they know about who God is. Because there's this constant tension in who Jesus is and what the mission of God is on earth and the religious people's understanding of God and his purpose and his kingdom. Because Jesus is like, people matter. And the Pharisees were like, we got to get our crap together because if everyone just didn't sin for an entire day, he'll come back. So they were regulating on people. You brought 
You ate with somebody you weren't supposed to. And Jesus was like, you're missing the freaking point. It's people. And he goes, I want, I want the, the scripture that he tells him to think about is I want you to show mercy and not offer sacrifices. I want you to show mercy and not offer sacrifices. I want you to think mercy is actually mercy, which represents compassion, which is a very nature, a part nature of who God is. I want you to show that to people instead of all these religious things. The sacrifices, they used to have to make sacrifices because for to atone for their sin. But even in this statement, Jesus is beginning to show that I will be the last sacrifice. I will be that atonement. And I want you to go to the unlikely. I want you to go into the darkness. I want you to go to the sick. I want you to prioritize people over religious duty. And I was so convicted because I know it will be so easy for us as a church gathering to place more emphasis on religious duty than it is for us to just to love people and i think that shift will happen when we believe in the lie that it is a pastor's job to go and make disciples we will shift into that religious mindset when this becomes duty and not the fact that we need to come together as a gathering of people not so that we can be reminded of of how um what church is and why we but we come together sorry that didn't really make sense but like we come together here because we were made for community we were made to know and to be known. We were made to come here to encourage each other, to challenge each other, to live life with each other. It literally breaks my heart every time I meet another person in Linden who says, I've been here for years and I do not have a single friend. I have been here for years and I have been struggling, but in my darkness and in my loneliness, I didn't have anybody to call. In my sadness, I was alone and I was grieving by myself. And I think we have blocks and blocks of churches and they are doing incredible things. But there has to be something that shifts when all Christians begin to think that we are, we got it wrong if we think it is a pastor's religious job to go and make disciples and go and be the light. But we are all light in our community. We are all moving temples. We are all mobile gospel preachers. We are all it. But if we rely on brick and mortar church, this holy place to do this holy thing, we miss the point that we should be about people. Because Jesus is saying, I want you to show mercy more than I care about your sacrifices. I want you to love people instead of caring so much about religious duty. I want you to invite people into life like I've invited you into life. I want you to live in community, to pray for each other, to challenge each other, not to judge, but that's the sad, broken part about our humanity is that people think of church and they think they're going to judge me. I've lost count of how many people I've met in my lifetime as a Christian or even as a non-Christian who believed that they would literally be set on fire like like. Heavenly fire will rain down on them if they step into a church because the church is a holy place for holy people and they weren't holy, therefore they don't belong. How twisted is that? That people believe that. But they believe it not because they're foolish. They believe that because we have in one way or another indirectly communicated to them that unless you are holy, you don't belong here. 
Unless you have reached these echelons of perfection and spiritual maturity, you can't serve and be a part of this. Why I do not feel shame in sharing that I struggle with depression and anxiety and I have my struggles and I have my brokenness is because I think if God can call me, despite all the things that people would say is clearly wrong with me, I can say Jesus calls the unlikely. One of my favorite things in the world is when people tell me that I can't do this. Because I'm like, hold my metaphorical sparkling water. Watch Watch me. 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 Yeah. (laughs) Because it's all about God calling the unlikely. You're an Asian, female, lead pastor, church plant, not in a building. And you shout people literally down in the streets all the time. You don't fit into Linden. You will never survive here. My favorite is when they tell other people and then those people tell me. And I think, I'm not here to gather the, pe- the religious people. I'm here to gather people who realize I don't belong here but may- in this city, but maybe I can belong here in this home, around this table, around this shared meal. I've never felt like I belong, but maybe I belong here because guess what? I don't belong either. So instead of complaining about it, we're doing something about it and empowering each other to go into our spaces and places and to be the light because people don't need to come here to experience Jesus if the spirit of God is dwelling and living alive in you because they can experience that and you can lead them to salvation and you can disciple them. They don't need to come to a church gathering. They don't need to hear it from me. They don't need to be in this space. But any space that you dwell, you can go and preach the gospel. You can go and be the light. You can show mercy over sacrifice. You can show mercy. You can show compassion. And this is what Jesus is telling the religious people over and over and over. When they're wondering, what the heck are you doing being around these dirty people, these unclean people? We would never. We would never do that. We would never be around that. And we slip into that religious mindset. And I just think about how that is not the Jesus I know. That is never the Jesus that I experience. So I want you to think, and this is my challenge in this really section of scripture, is I want us to begin to think about all the places that we can be Jesus, like we can be light in the darkness. I want you to think of every realm of influence that you might have where you can go and be spiritually responsible and say, you know what, here in this space, this is the space I want to be Jesus. So I want us to take a moment to think about it and why I'm going to ask you to say it out loud or say, even think about or even share what you're thinking right now. If I personally want to be like, hey, how are you, how's that going in school? How are you loving people in school? How are you loving people in these spaces? And here's the thing. What I love about this gathering is that we're all in different spaces. And that's cool too. Like that's what I love the most. And so I know that for me, I want to be the light in the darkness in this community. I want every person who doesn't know Jesus or Christians or church who don't feel like they belong I want them to interact and live life with our family. 
So we can say, it doesn't even matter. I want to love you. I want you to feel like you belong here because I know what it's like to not feel like I belong somewhere. And I know exactly what it feels like to have people remind me that I don't belong here. So that's my space that I feel like God is called. Like, you are here in this place for this reason. Uh, does anybody else share? And, like, if you don't, like, I just start calling people. Jenna. <gasps> Jenna. The key is not to make eye contact. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say... Be like the Pharisees and shout it. Just in the next thing in here. <laughs> I would say, for me, it's um, probably with other mothers. Mm. There's a lot here. Yeah. <laughs> All of... 50% of Linda. <laughs> Anybody else? Um, I think the, 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 the uh, verses 9 that's actually um, kind of like give me an idea that um, that each of us is kind of a difference. You know, like, like we have an image of Jesus when we grow up we have a you know totally different image of Jesus like how you know, we think Jesus is um, and um, and I think because that we have the, you know that image so so much difference so that you know like Jesus have a different way to to approach us <laughs> and interact with us so like for example like this uh, in this context right the text like that is how Jesus approached them. Mm-hmm. That, and by the way that Jesus approaching them, uh, that they start to believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, if like Jesus they approaching us the same way to us, like you say, probably that we're not really right? Like we're not really who are, why they, you know, like we, we start to question things. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, that is like. That's actually like bring me back to like another thought. Like when I grow up, I would think I would feel like jealous of my sister. Mm-hmm. But how come that is Jesus that is so flavor her, that is giving mm-hmm. her so you know like so talent, so mm-hmm. genius that is you know get a good grade and I'm not. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like when you grow up, you always like have a little you know, jealous, like um you know sister and brothers or something or you know like neighbors. Um, and so like, and now that I start to think like, and after that I grow up and you know, get through life and I start to see like how Jesus leading me to mm-hmm. a totally different path. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that I start to think like, maybe that is how Jesus approaching to me and showing me that mm-hmm. path and showing me, approaching me that way. Not by saying like, hey, come sit here and eat with me, but like actually showing me more challenge, mm-hmm. showing me this different way that to know that Jesus is actually is it mm-hmm. for my sister the same like my sister Bella is a totally different path right yeah. like she's also you know study hard she see Jesus in in the challenge of you know learning and studying every mm-hmm. single night and she feel really stressful about it but like she gets through it with Jesus Jesus they uh, leading her mm-hmm. go through that by that way yeah. so then um, it's just something you know it with that thought, like, just make me feel like 
I I guess I live in my life with jealous a lot, but for uh, hey girl, we all we all got our thing. <laughs> <laughs> so then it's just getting to the point I feel like, well, if like I look at someone and I see like, oh that person they have this nice thing, have that nice house or have that nice car or well maybe that is not something that Jesus wants me to have. Because maybe what I want is maybe not what I need. So Jesus may I probably sh- show me a different way. That's and maybe up. one day that he's gonna yeah. come to me, approach me in in a really surprising way yeah. and tell me that to follow him. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. That's good. So many things you said could just preach all day long. It's maybe something that I want, but not something that I need. Mm-hmm. And I like anybody else here struggle with comparison? No? Yes. Cool. Oh, okay. Everyone joy, is right? literally <laughs> nodding. But it's interesting because this idea of comparison and this idea of call, even the disciples argued amongst themselves, who's your favorite? And she's like, still missing the point, but okay, cool. We've been at this for a couple years now. They're like, but seriously, like if you had to pick, if all 12 of us were drowning, who are you going to save? You only got two hands, right? Because they still didn't get it. (laughs) And this is the thing, is that living in relationship, that intentional invitation, that intentional response that relationship, this community, this sense of belonging, even though you don't have your crap figured out, this sense of follow me and be my disciple. I know that you struggle. I know that you have doubts. I know that you have questions. I know that you are struggling with stuff, but yeah, anyways, come follow me. You will live life with me and you'll mess up and I'll be like, all right, let's try this again. You're going to fail and I'm going to be like, cool, we're going to learn. And there's so much about this experience and this call, even the call of Matthew, where it is solidifying this idea that God and Jesus does not call just religious people who have their act together. Jesus calls the unlikely into relationship and he uses the unlikely for his purpose, for the kingdom of God. And I think it's because there are so many unlikelies in the world. There are so many people who need to know Jesus. There are so many people who feel disqualified to even pray, to even be in community, to struggle and not feel like they belong. And Matthew's story is inserted right here to the religious people. I was a tax collector and he called me into relationship. And then he came and was with my friends and the people that I knew as community. And he stood up for me when they said, why are you eating with dirty people? So Jesus left and right is mic dropping on the religious people. And he's like, this is it. Mercy over sacrifice. People over religious duty. And I don't want us to miss that. I don't want us to miss that when we leave here, when we leave our gathering, when we go to school, when we go to work, when we go into relationships, when we go into different communities, when we go into all the spaces that we will go, We are to be the people that are light in the darkness. We are supposed to be the people that are inviting people in. We are supposed to be the people as Christ followers. If you are here and you are one, you are called to be a disciple maker. And it is with, it is not about your race, your gender, your age, your socioeconomic status, your giftings. Any person that identifies as 
a Christ follower is then called to go and make disciples. Regardless of what is your occupation, regardless of your title, if you are a teacher, if you are a stay-at-home mom, if you work at a gym, if you work at a tech company, if you're a student, if all those things, you are still called to go and make disciples. It is not a duty left to just pastors and preachers in holy spaces. But every place where we go, if we are filled with the Spirit of God, that space where we dwell, where we exist, where we are living life, those are spaces and opportunities for us to go and tell people about Jesus. It will not be programs. It will be how we love people. In communicating vision and teaching our church. If you are not going out there, if I'm not going out there being the hands and feet of Jesus, and that you think getting people here is how they will experience Jesus, nah. Interacting with you every single day, that's how they're experiencing Jesus. Interacting with you in your spaces, in your brokenness, in your strengths, and everything, that is them experiencing Jesus. Here's just funsies. But going out there is what matters. Because Jesus went out. He went to the people who needed him. Because they're not coming to the synagogue. We need to go out there because they ain't coming to church. But that doesn't mean we can't preach the gospel. That doesn't mean you can't lead them. That doesn't mean you can't live life with them. That doesn't mean you can't intentionally invest in them. I remember the first time we gathered, I thought, Lord, there's so many neighbors here who don't know Jesus and they're not here. And I felt so clearly convicted. If they never came here to your church, will they still hear the gospel? If they never step foot inside of your gathering, will they still experience me? And I had this holy crap moment where I thought, I've, I've even failed to see it. That this is cool. I love this. This is community. But people don't have to come here on a Thursday night. To share a meal and do all this to experience Christ. Because they should be experiencing it when I am in relationship with them. People should belong in our lives. People should feel loved by us regardless of where they're at. If we can't sit here and think we don't know a single non-Christian person, I think we've missed the point. If we only become people who think we have our crap together. Because again, I didn't come here for people who think they are righteous. I came for people who know they are sinners. Guys, we can't keep missing the point. There are too many people who are dying. There are too many people who are living life and do not know who Jesus is because we have thought that this holy place with these holy people, that's their responsibility. It is our responsibility. So if you are here and you say, oh, I'm a Christian, then I'm going to say, go make disciples. Because that is for all of us. That was the Great Commission.